Amen. It certainly does. Amen. The Bible says that he, we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities. Uh, the kids will be dismissed to junior church, those that are going back. But I'm glad that if, it, if, you, if, it, if it's a concern to you, the Lord cares about it. Amen. Amen. What in the world are you boys doing back there? Late for Sunday school, now sitting on the back row? Okay, sorry. Did I say that out loud? All right. Um, amen. I'm telling you. Uh, Mark chapter 2 today. Have you ever had a crazy friend? If you've never had a crazy friend, you had not been in this church very long. Because there's a few around here uh, that, uh, that will gladly be your friend, but they are nuts, amen? And, uh, but in Mark 2, we meet a guy that had some crazy friends, man. They had, he had some crazy friends, uh, but he had some crazy friends that cared about him. They were pretty radical, and we're going to find out about in this chapter uh, some things that really are all about, uh, that, that's ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ, but it reminds us of His great, great mission and the Lord's greatest care and His greatest motivation, which is you, which is people. And no matter what we do, and where we serve, and what ministry, what avenue, whatever we do, we need to keep people at the forefront. Number one, keep honoring the Lord Jesus Christ and making a difference in people's lives. And that's what Jesus did. So when we look in Mark 2 verse 1, the Bible says, And he entered into Capernaum after some days, till it, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four. This is the crazy friends. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus, this is an interesting phrase here, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. In this chapter, we begin with a very exciting scene with a great crowd that's in a house there in Capernaum. I mean, and what, what it was that really brought this crowd that Jesus was in the house uh, was that it was not about other people that was there. It was about Jesus being there. And folks, I don't know about you, but I love seeing a great crowd in the house of God, don't you? And uh, I like seeing it where we, uh, I love seeing it where when we get concerned and guys start putting out chairs and things of that nature, people are flooded into the back. But I'm telling you, the great thing, that the, the, the motive I want to see, the reason I want people coming is not because of our great laser show, because we don't have one, uh, and not for any, even any of the other things that we may try to do well. Man, I want it to be because Jesus is in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, there's a difference that's being made. So he was in the house, the crowd was there, he was working miracles in their lives. And I believe the greatest testimony and the greatest witness to the power of Jesus Christ and the presence of Jesus Christ is changed lives. See, church isn't just supposed to be a social club. 
Hey, I love the social aspect of church. I mean, that's a great part of it. But it's more than that. It's a group of people whom Jesus Christ has transformed, and I should say is transforming our lives. Because there's none of us that have arrived yet. Is that right? None of us have got there yet. When we get to heaven, that's when we'll finally have it. Uh, But until then, that transformational process, Jesus is still working. But folks, it is a testimony to a lost and dying world when they see a work being done in our lives that can only be explained through the working of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 12, 32, Jesus made this statement. Now, the context is about, and the, the interpretation of this verse has to do with Jesus being lifted up on the cross. But I would still like to make an application about Him being lifted up for all to see. In John 12, 32, Jesus said, And if I be lifted from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Folks, we need to lift up Jesus. Hey, we need to just let people know how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ is. Man, I love what the psalmist says. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. If we're not careful, folks, we lift up the wrong things. We magnify the wrong things a lot of times. But I'm telling you, in these evil, wicked days that we live in, we just need to lift up Jesus. Amen? I mean, boy, I, I think it's a shame... When Christians, God's people, are talking more about uh, President Biden and Kamala and Fauci more than they talk about Jesus. Right? I would hate for someone to hear vaccine out of me more than they hear Jesus saves. Amen? I mean, have you ever think about that? Man, let's, I ain't saying not to, we don't not, not talk about other things, but I'm just saying, man, there shouldn't be anything else more prominent in our hearts and minds than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. And the idea behind looking unto Jesus is to, look, is to turn away from everything else and just cast our eyes on Him. Folks, we need to learn as God's people to do that on a daily basis. Uh, Just look away from everything else. Just take a moment every day to look away from everything else because what if we don't do that, here's what happens. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. What happens is what we focus on, number one, is what we go toward. I used to ride ride bikes uh, sometime. I guess I just rode one at a time. I rode a bike, and when I would be riding my bike... uh, it's a funny it's a funny thing isn't it i was riding my bike and i'm on the bike path and i'm coming up to a place where there's a fence on the bike path where it opens up to where cars can be and right in the middle of this bike path there's one of those big concrete poles you know so that you can fit a bike or a person on either side of that thing and this ain't going where you think it's going i did okay but it was close what happens is I'm riding my bike on the way and I'm, you know, I'm trying to get some speed up. I, I'm, I was trying to lose some weight and burn some calories is what my motivation was. And so I, I'm riding the bike and I come up to that pole and I look at that pole and I'm thinking I need to go around that pole. But my problem is I'm looking at the pole. And man, when you're looking at that pole, guess what you do? You go toward the pole. And so I had to tell myself, okay, look over here, you know, go around it. I'm dumb like that. My brain don't work uh, if, if, I don't, if I don't tell it to, you know. But the point is, what you look at is what you go towards. What you look at is what you make a big deal about. 
Why do we magnify? What, what do we magnify, by the way? Man, this, this is going a different direction, but I'm going to bring it back because it's still in the same context. Lifting up Jesus, letting people know He's in the house, letting people know He's in this house as well as this house. I mean, it, what, what are we magnifying? What are we looking at? Because if we, if, we, if we spend so much time looking at all the things of the world, what happens is they become real big, and without us even realizing it, the things of God, even the Lord Himself, begin to become very small in our eyes. Anytime I talk about magnifying the Lord, I, I love thinking about the Andromeda Galaxy. The Andromeda Galaxy is several times larger than, than our galaxy, the Milky Way. And you can actually see on a clear night, you can see the Andromeda Galaxy way off in the distance. And it's just a little, little, little fuzzy blur out there. But it's several times larger than our universe. So a telescope magnifies this large, incredible universe and shows, gets us an idea of just how big it is. Because and, and, it looks really small out there, but it's big. See, and, and, and naturally speaking to mankind, God is just really small. Hardly makes a bleep on their radar. And unfortunately, sometimes in our life as God's people, it seems like God's that way too. We know He's there, but boy, is He out there a long ways. But when we magnify Him, we take something large that looks small, but it's large, and we bring it close up and get it into perspective. Now that's what we ought to do, but you know what we spend more time doing? We take more time getting the microscope out. And what we like to do, we just it's human nature. We, we like to get the microscope out, and we, we like to take something you can hardly see and make it as big as possible. The media specializes in it, do they not? Uh, I mean, listen, what I'm trying to say to you today is that we need to lift up Jesus Christ. We need to let people know we ought to have the joy of the Lord as God's people. We ought to have peace. Uh, no matter, you say, do you not know what's going on in the world? Yes, I do. But compared to Him, it's not all that big. You say, preacher, do you not realize what may happen to Christianity in America? Yes, I do. What are you going to do? I'm going to keep on preaching. And I'm going to keep on lifting up Jesus, amen? And I'm going to keep on being involved and doing other things I can in the meantime. But ultimately, by God's grace, man, listen, I'm not depressed today. I'm not worried. I'm not pulling my hair out. Some of it is turning gray. My wife the other day, <laughs> I started letting my, my, my beard grow out a little bit. And if you know me, it doesn't get much better than this right here. Now, I hate some of you guys, okay, with the, with the great beards. But, uh, but, it, but, uh, but I started just letting it grow out. And, and Melanie comes up to me and she just starts going like this. You got, you got something on your, on your chin there. She thought I got like some, you know, some cream or maybe some skin, just dry skin or something. I said, honey, stop it. That's my white beard coming out, okay? But the fact is this. I'm not worried today. I'm happy today. I'm joyful today because my times are in His hands. And I don't understand everything going on, but I know, listen, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Amen. Hallelujah. And I know who holds my hand. Praise God. So, if I be lifted up, God, by the grace of God, we need to be lifting up God to other people. I love this. The Bible goes on to say this quickly. Notice this. The Bible says, that it was noised about that he was in the house. Man, we need to start making some noise. 
We need to start making some noise for Jesus. Telling people about how good He is. Letting it be known. Letting, letting people know. I tell you, you know what a lot of people need to know? And this is getting ahead of myself a little bit. But the whole point of what's going on in this story is there's a man that needs some help. Amen. And you, don't know, you want to know something today? There's people all around us that need help. When you go down your street, I want you to know that just behind just about every door you pass, there's a broken heart and a broken life in that house. Behind the eyes of those people you work with that, that, or go to school with, and, and you know, we're, we're, we're taught to try to act and live as if everything's okay, there's some hurting people around us. And we need to let them know that Jesus can help them. It's our job to let them know that there's hope. And uh, so we need to lift him up, make some noise, make some noise about what the Lord's doing. I love what Jesus did when they got there. That he was not initially working miracles. The Bible says that he preached unto them there in verse number two. He preached the word unto them. Man, you know what's going to make the difference? By God's grace as a church, we need to continue to magnify the Lord, to make some noise about what Jesus, who Jesus is and what He's doing. Every one of us need to be doing that from the youngest to the oldest. And I tell you what we need to do is we need to continue to preach the Word of God. Because God's Word's still powerful, amen? God's Spirit's still working, and God's Word and God's Spirit will still change lives. There was a proclamation. There was the preaching of the Word of God. But now we get to, with all this going on, there were some men that heard the noise. There were some men that knew that Jesus was there. These, obviously, these four men must have been men that already knew about Jesus. I can't help but wonder. We don't know a lot about the four men that are mentioned in our story. So... If you'll let me speculate, because you don't know and I don't know, but it's definitely possible that these four men could have been among the many that were healed by the Lord Jesus. These four men perhaps were men that at one time themselves, one thing's for sure, at one time they didn't know Christ and they were sinners. But it's possible that these men could have been men that were in need of healing themselves. And they were healed by Christ. They were saved by Christ. They were forgiven by Christ. Any of you been saved? Amen. We'll have an invitation for the rest of you in just a moment. Amen. Please come forward and accept the Lord. But if you haven't been saved, have you had your sins forgiven? Oh boy, (laughs) only one of those, amen. But uh, listen, what I'm just simply trying to say is you've been saved. You've been forgiven. You know Jesus. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Man, we ought to shout and rejoice over that. I mean, just, man, God's good. All the time. We ought to be praising the Lord every day. We ought to find some place in our life to praise Him. Well, preacher, you don't understand. I'm not worthy. Exactly. So praise Him more. (laughs) I don't praise Him because I'm worthy. I praise Him because I look at myself and say, Lord, I'm a wreck. <laughs> and, I, and I come short and I'm a mess. But Lord, I thank you that you saved me anyway and you're still working on me and I can come to you for forgiveness. So we praise the Lord. But it's not just about us. These four men said, you know what? What about our other friend? What about our other friend? The Bible says he's sick with the palsy. That just means he was paralyzed. We don't know the extent of his paralysis, but we know that he was paralyzed. 
Sometimes these men would be called lame men in the Bible. There was a man with a need. And they were, they, they were determined they had to get their friend to Jesus right now. And so we'll see the verse again. Notice what it says there just in case you missed it. The Bible says there in verse 3, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born or carried of four. So these four men go and get this paralyzed friend of theirs and they're carrying his makeshift bed. And when you read the Bible, you can kind of get the picture. This, th- these men during this time, they would lay upon their beds and during the day, in many ways, they may be like a homeless person, but they would be begging all day. That's the only way they could get any money or any food or anything else. So this is some sort of makeshift bed that this man had. And as we've read in other places in the Bible, a lot of times men would be, it was a bed to where they could be carried out and sat in that place to start the day out and sit there and beg. And then if they had friends and family that could help them, they would carry them back to some other place at night. We don't know if that's exactly what this man had in his life, but we do know one thing. These men come to him and said, Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. There's a man named Jesus that can help you. There's a man named Jesus that can change your life. You're lame. You're in a place you can't do anything for yourself. You're totally at the mercy of others. You don't have much hope for the future. But there's a man named Jesus who can change all of that. And I want to get you to him. Now, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us much. All the Bible says is he was born of four. There's four people carried him. But I just couldn't help but think to myself and wonder, what if this man was a little reluctant? I mean, you think about that? He was paralyzed, so he couldn't get up and run from these guys. What what if he said, well, I don't know, I don't want to go, I don't need Ralph to hear this part, okay? Uh, But these men, uh, they they, they picked up his bed and carried him anyway. I say that because if Ralph hears this, he'll be dragging people here against their will, I promise you. He all but does it now, amen, I love him for it. Uh, but, uh, but, but I don't know if this man willingly came or not, but I, I, I believe he probably did willingly come. But isn't that just a funny thing to think about, coming along and being like, hey, we want to take you to Jesus. And I can almost imagine some of you, you, know, you, you have that initiative and that drive, and you're, you're a little more driven that way. And I can almost imagine some of them saying, hey, buddy, and almost coming and picking up his bed and telling him as they're picking him up and carrying him off where he's going. What are y'all doing? Where are you taking me to? There's a man named Jesus. He's down at this house over here. And if we could just get you there, we're sure he would change your life. These men had confidence in Jesus. And that's where I wonder about this. Whether they had seen Jesus heal or whether they had been healed themselves, they knew Jesus could do it. You know one of the great problems sometimes with the people of God? We fail to believe that Jesus can do it. I'm actually disturbed. I'm I'm being honest. I'm disturbed by people that I've talked to when I've said, they'll tell me about a loved one, and I'll say, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that they come to God. I'm going to pray that God delivers them. And they'll say, oh, no, no, he'll never get saved. Really? And then, then, I, then I, if I begin to protest, <laughs> no, no, you just don't know my dad. But you know what I want to say? 
You just don't know my God. Right? God's able. I mean, I, I think about this often. If you look around this church this morning, you're going to see some people. There's Among the people in this church, there's some people who were the people who never would have got saved. There's some people who would never listen. There's some people who would never quit the drugs. There's some people who would never turn their back on their former religion. There's some people like that in here, but here they are. Amen? You know, it's just like, just like the bumblebee, right? You know, they say the bumblebee scientifically, I've heard, is not supposed to be able to fly. But it, the bumblebee just keeps flying anyway because apparently nobody ever told him he couldn't fly. Amen? And I'm telling you, what I'm just simply saying is this. How big is your God? How big is your God? These friends had confidence. If I could just get you to Jesus. See, we need to start taking people we love to Jesus in prayer, number one. In prayer. We need to start showing them Jesus in our lives. We need to start telling them about Jesus. We need to do something to get them to Jesus, to carry them to Jesus. Man, this requires effort. This man couldn't have been easy to carry, but they carried him. And they all got together, man. I love the fact that there was four friends that agreed, we're going to do this. We're going to get this man to him. I don't believe this is the only man they ever tried to get to Jesus. But this is the story we have of one that they did get to Jesus. They had confidence. And I just want to encourage you today that, man, there is not a sinner that God can't save. You say, well, preacher, doesn't the Bible talk about people being able to cross a deadline and, and you know, going, yeah, certainly it does. But we don't know when that is, so we just keep on preaching and believing, amen, and wanting to see people saved. Do you have confidence today that the unsaved around you can be saved by the grace of God? Yeah, I'm talking about that psycho leftist that you know. I'm talking about that crazy liberal. I'm talking about, I am talking about that extremely uh, leftist, ideal, just immoral person that you know. Let me tell you something. Jesus can save them. Jesus can save them. Jesus can heal them. Do you believe that? He can. I, I, love, I often think about this, and uh, the sad part to my knowledge, the lady never got saved, but I remember so vividly knocking on a door many years ago, when I was down in North Carolina, and, and we invited this uh, lady to church. And, uh, and the first thing she said to me, she said, you don't want people like me. Well, first she just tried to brush us off, and I just tried to say something else to her. And she said, you do not want people like me in your church. That's what she said. And after I talked to her a little bit, I found out that this woman was employed at a place called Leather and Lace. And, uh, and, and that's, that was her employee. And she began to tell me all this and, and her broken life and everything. And by the grace of God, you know what? I'm so glad I was able to look her square dead in the eyes with all confidence and say, and I said, ma'am, I said, we want people just like you in our church. Something to that effect. Because I wish I'd have said there's nobody else like you, amen? Because there's, each person's an individual. But we do want you in our church. Our church is made for people like you. We want people like you there. Amen? You would be welcome. We would love. And you know what? By the grace of God, she came that very next day to church. Ain't that wonderful? Uh, to, to my knowledge, she never got saved. But I'm glad that I could look at her. I don't care how bad they are. 
I don't care how wicked they are. I don't care how mean they are. Jesus saves. Amen? He is able. Do you believe that? He can save. He sure can. All right. So they got him there. But now notice this. They carried him there. They took the effort. Man, if we're going to get somebody to Jesus, and by the way, if you know Jesus, we have a biblical responsibility to try to get somebody else to Jesus. Every one of us. Every one of us. And so they know Jesus. They had to make effort to get this man to Jesus. But here's the thing. They get to the house, and the Bible says that basically the house was surrounded. So they get to the house, and over there's the door. They can't get to the door. But they, they, they come to an obstacle. But they come to an obstacle, and they don't say, well, sorry, buddy. We're going to just take you back to where you were before. They say, no, excuse me, excuse me. You know, I mean, just working their way through that crowd, working their way through that crowd. And then finally they get up to the door and they realize why so many people are standing outside. The house is absolutely packed with people. There's no possibility of squeezing in there. So there's another obstacle. But these men said, in other words, it's not always going to be easy to get people to Jesus. It's going to take effort, but by God's grace, we ought not give up. These men didn't say, well, man, what are we going to do? Uh, They may have said that, but then they did something. They didn't quit. They said, huh. Well, how are we going to get our friend to Jesus? And one of them says, this is these crazy friends now. What about the roof? What about the roof? Hey, it's okay to think of unconventional ways, amen? I'm sure there was another church down the street that was thinking to themselves, well, man, we would never get on the roof like that, you know. Uh, but, but it don't always have to be conventional. They were just trying to think of a way to get their friend to Jesus. Now, how did that work? And this, this understand, don't, try not to picture this roof. It's a little bit different. It would have been more than likely a flat roof. It would have been more likely a thatched or a, a, a roof, something more of that nature. But nevertheless... It had to be pretty hard getting this guy on the roof. And can you imagine, maybe that guy's like, guys, just forget about it. It's okay. I mean, I'll probably never be healed anyway. There's probably no hope for me. But these guys just wouldn't stop. They would not stop. And they said, no, let's get on the roof. How are we going to do it? I don't know. They went and found some rope or whatever they found. They got this man up on the roof. And so now just picture with me, here's Jesus in the middle of this house and and He's teaching and He's preaching the Word of God. And all of a sudden, somebody begins to hear something. Number one, can you imagine the homeowner? All of a sudden, you see some debris start falling down around Jesus. Pretty soon, there's a couple boards or uh, fronds or whatever that just fall down through. And next thing you know, everybody's attention is paused when they see a big old hole torn in the roof. And then down comes being lowered on these ropes, I imagine. Here comes this man on his bed being lowered down in the midst of all of them. And here's the homeowner sitting there. He's stuck in this crowded room. There's not much he can do to stop it. But here he is lowered down. Those guys did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. And I was thinking about this. I think it was just this morning when this thought came to my mind. I I thought about this. What would it take to stop you? What would it take to stop you from getting your friend to Jesus? From getting your child to Jesus? From getting your uh, friend, your loved one to Jesus? What would it take to stop you? I was thinking about that question 
Then I had another disturbing question come up right up after that. And you know what it was? A better question may be for some of us, what would it take to get you to start? What would it take to get you to start? we got to start somewhere, amen? It's not too hard. There's people lying down all around us that are helpless. There's people lying down all around us that are hurting. There's people all around us that need Jesus. It's not too hard to find one of them. It's just like back in the Civil War, you know, there was uh, this, old, uh, this old guy that, that decided to fight in the war and uh, he, uh, here he is fighting and uh, all, all the old guys, just, all the younger guys just called him Grandpa, you know, and, and kind of looked out for him, but he was just an old man. Well, pretty soon they got up on the, on the front lines of the battle and, and man, the, the, the smoke began to, uh, the bullets began to fly, the smoke began to fill the air, people began to get shot. And pretty soon they start looking around and they say, Where's Grandpa? Where's Grandpa at? And they were looking around. Did he get shot? Is he wounded? What happened to him? And after a little while, the battle kind of died down a little bit. The smoke began to fade. And off in the distance, they saw some figures walking toward their encampment. And as they were walking that way, they began to look at it. They said, That looks like Grandpa, but he's got a guy with him. And he was walking, and it was Grandpa walking with his musket in the back of an enemy soldier. And he's like, Grandpa, what are you doing? And he's like, well, he said, I just went and caught one of the enemies. He said, uh, the woods are full of them. The woods are full of them. Just go get you one. Amen? And I want to say today, folks, it's not going to be too hard to find somebody to get to Jesus. We just got to make that effort, amen? We just got to start by having some compassion. And I've told you before, compassion just... Somebody said it this way. Compassion is to put your heart into somebody else's heart. Imagine if you were in their position. You know, I mentioned earlier that raving leftist that you know. I can't put myself in that position. I'd never be so foolish. Well, who knows? Maybe if you had been in their circumstances, maybe you would be so foolish. Have some compassion and think, what can I do to reach this person? Not what can I do to beat this person down. What can I do to reach this person? How can I get them to Jesus? That person that's lost in religion, lost in addiction. I mean, what can I do to get them to Jesus? Oh, my friend, listen. These men made an effort. And notice what the Bible says. There's a great, great thing that happened. A great thing that happened because of this man's crazy friends. The Bible says in verse number 5, when Jesus saw their faith. You know, faith is something that you can see. We want to talk about our faith. God wants to see our faith. When Jesus saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Now quickly, I want to say something here. Number one, we see a priority. This man wasn't thinking to himself, Oh, great. I'm going to be, my friends are going to carry me. Remember, this man's got a problem. Palsy. He's paralyzed. He's helpless. He's lame. He can't do for himself. He's not thinking, Oh, I want to go to Jesus and have my sins forgiven. But we see a priority here. Jesus does heal him, but first he deals with his sins. And you may think today that you have a certain need, and indeed, you very well may. 
But you don't have any need greater than having your sins dealt with. If you're here and you're not saved by the grace of God, you need to have your sins forgiven. If you're here and you are saved by the grace of God, but you're living in unconfessed, unrepented of sin, that's your problem. You may think you have other problems than you do, but at the heart of every problem, there's a problem with the heart. Jesus shows a priority here. This man's greatest need was having his sins forgiven. Jesus forgave his sins. But now this is interesting. That's important. Let me ask you this. Have you had your sins forgiven? If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you've accepted Christ as your Savior, let me tell you something. He went to the cross so that you could be saved. He wants you to become His child. And He wants your sins which separate you from God to be forgiven so that you might be restored to God. So that's the priority. But notice this. There's a a controversy that arises. And I won't go into all that, but in verse number 6, basically they begin to reason among themselves in verse 6. Verse 7, they were thinking that there were Pharisees and scribes, there were a bunch of religious people there that said He was being blasphemous. Because they said, there's none that can forgive sins but God only. And I say, ding, 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 bingo. Amen. Because God among us is here, Jesus. But that's what they were thinking. This man can't do this. This man can't forgive this. And can I just say this real quick? Not everybody's going to be happy when Jesus is in the house and the house is full and you're being noisy about Jesus and what He can do. Not a, and, people's change, and God's changing people's lives. Not everybody's going to be happy about that. How many of you know that? There's some of you in here, no doubt. That, that have gotten saved by the grace of God. I think about some of the teenagers. I think about some of the adults. We get saved by the grace of God. And man, you would think, there's sometimes you would think our family would just assume to have stayed in sin. And in our old lifestyle. Because they don't like this radical change. They don't like this commitment. And the reason really why is that it's convicting toward them. But, but I'll hasten and not deal with that too much just to get to this part. He asked a question here. In verse number 8, he says, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Notice this, verse 9. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? Now, just understand something here. It's kind of cool what this is leading up to. These guys are looking for an opportunity to accuse Jesus Christ and say that He is not the Christ, the Messiah, promised in the Old Testament. Jesus says, thy sins be forgiven thee. Anybody could say that, right? Anybody could say that. So if He just says this, and it's not followed by any evidence, they actually have a pretty good accusation against Him. If there's no evidence of power, of transformation. So he not only says, son, thy sins be forgiven you, that relationship, son. But then he also says there in verse number 10, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way unto thine house. And here's the point that I'm simply trying to make. The fact that Jesus worked a miracle in their midst 
was proof that he had forgiven the sins. You say, well, why did he do that? He did it. Well, he said right there in verse 10, he told you why he did it. He said, so that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. There ought to be evidence that our sins are forgiven. Because what this man did was pretty cool. Number one, and I just can't, can't you just imagine the whole scene? Here he was, let down there, sins forgiven. Then Jesus says, arise, take up thy bed and walk. And the Bible says the man took up his bed and just walked right out of there. I guess they made a way for him, amen, to walk. And can't you just imagine seeing something wonderful like that? This relationship. But I like what the Bible says there, verse 12. And immediately he rose and took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, glorifying God and saying, We never saw it on this fashion. You know what this man did? And you can read, you can read this account in the Gospel of Luke as well. And it talks about the fact that he went out telling others. <laughs> what did he do? He went out trying to say, Hey, I know a man. My friends brought me to Jesus. Now I want to bring you to Jesus. He went out telling everybody what Jesus can do. And by God's grace, man, that's what we ought to do. It ought to be noised abroad that Jesus is in Elk Point Baptist Church. It ought to be noised abroad, you know, yes, that God's blessed us with some gifted singers and, and man, the people are so sweet and nice and, and, and all these other things. But ultimately, the, the thing ought to be, the reason these pet folks are so loving and caring down there is because of Jesus. Jesus is there. There's some people there whose lives have been transformed. There's people there, let me say, whose lives are being transformed. None of us have arrived yet. And He can do the same for you. Amen? Noised abroad, what Jesus can do. You know what? You need to be somebody's crazy friend. You need to be somebody's radical friend. You need to be somebody's persistent friend that says, I'm going to get them to Jesus no matter what it takes. I'm going to get them to Jesus. I'm going to love you. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to reach out to you. I want to get you to Jesus because I know Jesus can heal you. I know there's hope for you. And so I encourage you today, by the grace of God, go out of here and let a, let a world know that there's a Savior that can help them. There's help for their broken, lonely hearts, their bitterness, their brokenness. There's help in Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand, please. I know what your need is or where you stand today. But if you've never had your sins forgiven, I want to tell you, you need to have them forgiven. If you're a child of God today, and there are sins that you've never, you know, that you're still, I mean, listen, we all struggle with sin. Let me just say that. But I want to ask, you know, there's some, there's some of you, and I know it's unusual for, for many of us, but there's some that have never humbled themselves and walked that humble path to this altar up here and prayed. You know, the reason we allow that and encourage that is, man, there's something to be said about what God does in your heart when you surrender your will. When you stand in that place where you're at, man, there's nothing more you want to do. than You, you definitely don't want to come down and pray. What's people going to think and blah, blah, blah. But when you're humble enough, it reminds me of the old story. 
There was a lady that would come to church and she would say, I'm interested in getting saved. And the pastor said to her, okay, well, at the end of the service, he said, when I give the invitation, I want you to come down and I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll pray with you right there. She says, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I will not do that. She come again the next week, preacher, I'm really interested in getting saved. He says, well, would, would you be willing at the end of the service to go down there and pray? No way, I would not be willing to do that. Finally, she came in and she said, Preacher, I need to get saved. And he says, well, Would you be willing to go up at, to, to the, and pray at the end of the service? She says, Absolutely, I'm going to go. And he says, Well, you can get saved right now. Amen. You can get saved right now because it wasn't the point about coming up. It's a point about are you humble enough to say, I need help. I need help. I need help. Now, don't take too much of a lesson from these crazy friends and go try to drag somebody down, all right? But maybe you can be your own crazy friend and drag yourself down and just say, Lord, I need help. We need help. We need forgiveness. We need power. We need a miracle. We all do. Heavenly Father, I